1: Talk some ball, 347-633-9365 is the number to call, so don't sit around, no time to stall, giving you football from wall to wall, and now we give you our two hosts, Emil and Chad with your breakfast toast. Amo Calamino here with you. Let me take a little bit of echo off of that thing. Amo,
2: we haven't had a chance to meet on air in the new year. How you doing, man? Happy New Year to you and also all of Happy
3: New Year to you. You've had a lot happen uh, as the year changed over here.
2: Yeah, some things, uh, some things happened there. I was in Tampa for the Outback Bowl on January 2nd. It was a win for the Florida Gators, a uh, resounding win. I can't, you know, I'm going to do a little research. Hopefully I can do it while we're on the air here. If someone listening knows, feel free to send me, a, a, send us a message on Twitter at GISOBG. I'm trying to think of the last time that all three Florida teams won their bowl games. Uh, I know it at least has not happened in 10 years because the last bowl win for my school was uh, at University of Miami was in 2006. So I'll be doing a little bit of research on that to uh, try and find out when that is. But it's a good sign uh, for the state of Florida. Florida State gets a big win over a Michigan team that was, um, uh, you know, uh, a nose hair away from making it to the college football playoffs. Uh, Miami gets a very solid and resounding win over the West Virginia Mountaineers, who was, uh, you know, by and large a top team in the Big 12 this year. And then the University of Florida goes out and completely dominates an Iowa team that uh, did some things in the Big Ten this year, most notably upsetting the Michigan team that was
3: very close to going uh, to the
2: college football playoffs. So very good for the state of Florida.
1: Amy.
3: Excellent. I mean, uh, you know, I had some comments. You were traveling. I sent you some notes. Uh, early in that game, the, the, your quarterback with the restaurant name, Appleby, had me very concerned. Okay. Uh, I was ready to send him to Appleby's, but he straightened himself out and, uh, that helped. I, I haven't seen Florida score 30 points very often this year. When you play good defense, it's, it's very helpful when you start scoring like that. The games c- tend to get out of control in your favor. So that was good.
2: Yeah, uh, a, a bit of a struggle early on, a couple of turnovers. Not, You know, I wouldn't really blame those on Appleby. Maybe there's some throws that were missed. You know, the two turnovers were certainly not as faulty.
3: No, 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 no. And it was good. It was good to see them. Uh, finish the year that way, strong. Uh, Hopefully they get the offense fixed down there. I think if they do that, they're always interested in defense. So, you know, the future could be bright there if, if he can get that offense going a little bit down there. And then, you know, the Florida State game, I had some comments. I mean, the one thing that always comes to mind when I watch them, and I'm sorry, I mean, I know the announcers love him. They'll say he's a genius. Jimbo Fisher, thank God he can recruit. There's, I'm telling you right now, I don't know how much you watch that Orange Bowl, but I'm guaranteeing you if you flip the coaches in that game and you let Harbaugh coach Florida State the way they were playing that night, they win the game by 20 points.
2: Um, elaborate on that.
3: Okay. We, you and I are both pretty high on Dalvin Cook, right? I, I mean, I, I actually have him for me, and that may surprise some listeners. I think he's the number one running back in this draft, if you ask me. Okay. But we can argue that that's not the point. He's one or two. You got a great running back. You've got a 20 to 9 lead. There's about 3 minutes left in the third quarter and you are just dominating defensively. They can't block you. Their quarterback, I could stand him on my on the deck of my house, he couldn't hit the swimming pool. I mean, it was uh, you know, it was a really good night for Florida State. They're on their own 10-yard line. He inexplicably calls a pass play on first down. Now I'm thinking to myself, "Why?" Why? It's not like you don't have a great running back. So the quarterback well, now at this.
2: A 92-yard bomb earlier.
3: Well, okay, but now you're in. It's a different point in the game. You've you've seen what you're doing. Your lines are doing very well against their lines. You you have control of the line of scrimmage. You're deep in your own territory. Shorten the playbook a little bit. It's not like your defense is giving you any indication that they're going to squander this lead, quarterback immediately makes a bad decision. Oh again. ultra-conservative and let a team back in the game? Is that what you're saying? Well, he let them back in that way because this, that pick six was, it made it 20-15, to 15 and after that, then that, that game got wild. I mean, it was a great game. Uh, I'm glad Jimbo did it. It made it more entertaining for me to watch. I just w- wouldn't have been the way I would have played it based on how I saw Florida State really handled Michigan the first two-and-a-half to three-quarters of that game up front. I was actually surprised at how – I mean, I guess I shouldn't be. They've got some great athletes. but
2: quarterback, Perhaps in that
3: situation, you're a little bit
2: more careful with the football. Yes, I know pass play was called. Um, you know, maybe they had set something up or something was there. And you roll out and you think you got it, and then, um, you know, it's not there. So, yeah, why not eat the football? Throw it out of bounds.
3: Oh, absolutely. Listen, the mistake itself is on the kid. I mean, he, he he's coached to play quarterback. I get that, but you also have to know who your quarterback is. You know, there's different, you know, if it's Andrew Luck at Stanford at the time, I'm okay with the call because I'm pretty confident at that point in his career he might do what you just said. I'm not so sure about this kid yet. I have to see him play more. So I like the way, you know, I've got Dalvin Cook. That's all I can tell you. I, I might hand him the ball on the 10-yard line. He might run 90
1: yards. Okay, so. You know, that's that's definitely true.
2: You know who won't make this mistake? Um, it's my man Nick Saban, who has uh, just won another national title. We don't know it yet. We'll have to wait till Monday. but. Uh, Put me down on that, Emil. And I've been listening here to the last 24 hours since Nick Saban let go of Lane Kiffin, and suddenly Lane Kiffin is Alabama. Lane Kiffin is the uh, dynasty. But, you know, despite the fact that he wasn't there for most of it, Lane Kiffin is uh, everything Alabama. He is the reason Alabama is good now. Um, He is the reason for Alabama's greatness. And without him,
1: Alabama is nothing.
2: And they will now be defeated by Clemson. Uh, The Clemson – bandwagon is getting very, very full, Emil, so you uh, have not bought your tickets yet. I suggest you rush to the window because Clemson, according to those out there um, in social media land, is uh, destined to win because uh, Lane Kiffin is no longer a part of Alabama football. I say to you, Emil, this is probably uh, one of the shrewdest moves and a very smart move for for, for Nick Saban to have made here because I'm going to tell you right now he's just uh, secured a championship for the Alabama Crimson Tide.
3: Uh, he may have. We'll, 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 I'm sure we'll handicap the game on Friday a little in, in depth. But uh, you know, it's definitely a shrewd move. I think it's funny the media. Is, that's just the media's M.O. You know that when they hate somebody. Here, what do we talk about all the time on the show? The media build someone up so they can tear him down. Now, in this case, it's the opposite. First, Kiffin was was torn down when he went to USC. He was garbage. He got fired. He got fired on the runway after the Arizona State game. He may never do anything again. He'll never be a head coach again. That's what the media told you. In comes Nick. Nick gives him a job. He does well there. Now they've built him up. He is the greatest play caller in the history of college football. There is nobody better than Lane Kiffin. Now they'll use that for a while to tear Alabama down, at least until Monday night. You know, so it's just a media game that gets gets them some eyeballs and some ears, and uh, I don't put too much stock in it. It's yeah. a shrewd move, I'll tell you why. I think it's a shrewd Well, and that's, uh, that's the
2: problem here. Let me tell you why this has secured them a championship. Uh, this has happened several times during the year, uh, in one case or another, especially when we've been handicapping ball games. And I'm telling you, it's very difficult for an opposing coaching staff to deal with late changes such as this. Uh, A quarterback goes out, you get a backup quarterback come in, or uh, there is an immediate change um, at a coordinator position, the person that's going to actually be calling plays. And for that one week, that one game, when you don't have a history on it, it is very, very difficult to prepare in that situation. Extremely difficult. And that's going to be the problem for Clemson. I'm telling you that right now. They're going to have a
3: serious Issue with that at the moment. So, um, yeah, and I think it was twofold. I agree with that, but I also think if you watch that game, uh, which I'm sure you did against Washington, I didn't think Kiffin called a particularly, uh, you know, particularly great game. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, Washington's got, you know, they got a salty defense. It's pretty good, but I mean, you, you look at that game. I mean, the defense gave them the, the 17-7 lead with with another touchdown. I mean, the Alabama defense scoring this year has been incredible. And they really didn't put the game away until Scarborough went 60-some yards in the fourth quarter with that long run. I mean, generally, I, I, I just didn't think he did enough creatively to help them. And maybe he is not focused. I mean, it's hard to have two jobs. I mean, he, he's excited, I'm sure. He wants to be a head coach again. He's, he's worried about building a program down there in Florida. And, you know, he's trying to coach a team that's, you know, offensively that's trying to win a national championship. I think it was not only shrewd, I think it was the right move by Saban. Yeah, I'm
2: sure there's probably some some headbutting that went on there, probably more than the norm. Anyone who's been following Alabama football during the season uh, can see that at times there've been some pretty harsh disagreements, and uh, you know, Saban has uh, you know had cause to go in a little bit on on Lane Kiffin during games. So you you know, if that's for display uh, for all of us publicly, you know, there probably was a little bit more going on behind the scenes. But I just have this feeling that. Um, things probably went a little further than maybe they have um, previously. And I think Nick Saban just came to the conclusion, well, listen, i already had your replacement in place. And for just one game, uh, I think I will be good if I get this talented signal caller, this play caller, into uh, the driver's seat for just this one game and the other side doesn't have much information to go on in terms of him calling oh, yeah. for the Alabama.
3: It's a big advantage, I think, for Alabama, a smart move, I mean, but again, I go back the whole the, the rest of it, everything you're talking about with, with Kiffin and the media reaction to it that's just typical media i mean you could you could go across sports or any any other facet of news and you can just see these guys anymore they're they're transparent it's so obvious to anybody that pays attention that all they're trying to do is bait you, they're just baiting you into. You know, listening to them or reading what they have to say. I mean, you know, Lane like Alabama never won before Lane Kiffin was there. I mean, seriously. Yeah, uh,
2: that's the part that just blows me away. So I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna watch uh, how the fans run around with this thing, um, and and also kind of see what they do to the to the line. Uh, put out in Vegas on this one, kind of see where they go with that. That'll be a true telltale sign. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll
3: see what happens there. We'll be we'll be going on that in depth on Friday, right? But uh, hey, another another one along those lines. Now that you bring that up, you kind of let me dovetail into another fan slash media reaction. Sunday, I'm watching. You know, like everybody else, I'm interested in seeing Romo play. I didn't know how much he'd play, how long. So he comes in. You know, there was no emotion in the game. I mean, you know, even the Eagles, who were destined to win the game once Mark Sanchez went in for the last three quarters, okay, because Sanchez looked like he couldn't wait to get to that Rose Bowl game the next day. Okay, that's how he played. Um, The Eagles kind of figured they are going to win. There's not a ton of emotion for your typical Cowboys-Eagles game. Romo goes in, engineers a nice 81-yard drive, bing, bang, boom, down the field, three for four, 30 yards, gets a long pass interference on a nice throw. Um, Now, all of a sudden, you've got Cowboy fans. Now, remember, these are many of them, not all of them, but two-thirds of them that were posting memes over the years of, you know, Romo choking in the playoffs, telling you how he wasn't that good. Uh, he he just went for stats. Now, all of a sudden, he should be the quarterback. They'd win the Super Bowl if they would just put him in because he had one drive where he never even came close that, to touching the a, ground. Is that a real thing, Emil? Is that something that people are oh, saying I have read journalists, uh, I've read scouts, that the the one guy gave a good analogy. He didn't say they should insert him. He said, listen, Dak Prescott should be in the MVP conversation. That said, he's not the best quarterback on the Cowboys. You know it. He goes, right now, the best quarterback's Tony Romo. Now, he said, I'm not saying he should win the game. His analogy was, the best actor of the last 30 years is Daniel Day-Lewis. That doesn't mean if I give him Leonardo DiCaprio's part in Titanic, it's a better movie. He goes, so I'm not saying they should replace Prescott, but Romo's the better quarterback. Okay, maybe that's a little more tempered. But I've read people saying, you look at what he can do in that offense. Man, they'd win the Super Bowl. They were they're going to cost themselves a Super Bowl playing the rookie. This is a lose-lose situation the media has set up. The only way that team can vindicate themselves is if they win. If they don't win, any decision would be wrong. If you leave Prescott in, you should have played Romo. If you put Romo in, you'd have the media turning around saying, Why would you change the quarterback when you're 13-3? and I mean, it's such a silly argument, but again, it's the media trying to draw people's attention to this. The guy didn't come close to touching the ground in in Lincoln Stadium on Sunday. You don't even know if he can take a hit at this point. He threw four balls without his uniform getting dirty. Right. Well, you knew this was coming, right? What
1: did you think about them even –
2: what would you have done? Would you have just made it a regular game, had Dak go the whole way, or uh, how would you have played this thing? Would Tony Romo have played if you were the coach-slash-owner uh, of the Dallas Cowboys?
3: It, well, it's a two-fold question. Let me answer how I would play in a, normal, in a normal situation where they have it wrapped up. I would still play my guys. Dallas was in a kind of unique situation. They had five healthy defensive linemen. They have three or four guys that are, you know, if they had to play in an NFC championship game, they could go out there and strap it on. But the truth of it is, they could get hurt in a game like that. They're, they're banged up seriously. Now, they'll be healthy in two weeks. I'm going to take that extra week to really let them get healthy. That said, anybody who was healthy, not injured, I would have played. See, I'm different. I look at it like you only play 16 games in this sport. They all mean something to me. I mean, maybe that's the fan. Maybe did Vince Lombardi rest guys in the 60s. I don't think he did if you go back and look.
1: Right. I um, just look no. at it like
3: football You know, football's a game There's only 16 games It's not Major League Baseball There's not 162 games Where, you, you know, okay, you're going to miss Four or five games, and you're going to play 150 Big deal I mean, there's 16 games I mean, the guys wanted to play Sean Lee stood on that sidelines With his gloves on, his helmet under his arm For four quarters That's Sean Lee <laughs>
2: Yeah, um well, yeah, I think there was no way really around this. I think you did have to play Tony Romo. You did, you do. I think you needed to shake whatever rust and cobwebs off of the guy just in the event that you're, you need him at some point in these playoffs. You know, Dak does run with the football. Maybe someone catches him, knocks him sideways, dings him up, and he's out. Uh, and you need to bring in a guy. You don't want those to be the first passes or, uh, or the first things that Tony Romo does this season when it's in the middle of a hotly contested playoff game? Agree or disagree? Well,
3: and it's twofold. It's twofold, Chad. I think it's twofold. One, no matter how much confidence an athlete has, I think when they've been away, I mean, this is a guy who's, who played four games last year, two of which he didn't finish. He didn't play a game this year. So basically in the last two seasons, he's played probably the equivalent of three football games when you add up the playing time. You've got to let him show, even though he's been practicing well, and they said he's really been doing great in practice, he, you've got to let him convince himself he still has it and get that confidence and that smile he had when he threw his touchdown pass back. And you've got to let the guys around him know that if something happens and we need to put this guy in the game, he's the same guy. And I, I think he was able – I think if he didn't have a good first series, they would have left him in longer, but I think once he did what he did – they wanted to just get him out of there because everybody, hey, here's what he could do if we need him. Now, you say Dak get hurt. Sure, he might get hurt, but how about this scenario? Dak's a rookie, and he's a, he's a tough kid. You've seen this kid. He's a leader. He's not going to wilt like a flower. Let's say they're down 21-10 in the NFC Championship game at halftime, and he's just he's all over the map. He can't read defenses, whatever. They have him confused. I think I think Jason Garrett would be quite comfortable going to Romo, knowing that he could reinsert Dak, and this kid's not going to lose his confidence. He knows he won 13 football games this year.
1: Uh, well, uh, we'll just have to see how all that plays
2: out. You know, there's a national championship game coming up on Monday. Uh, look, I don't know because I haven't looked at it. I don't know who's going to call the game, Amol, but I sure hope it's Brent Musburger and
3: insert whoever else. That's who I'm looking for. <laughs> Let me- Oh, Brent, 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 Brent! That drove me nuts yesterday. You saw that thing. I, I'm, I'm re, you know, I get my news feed, and let's face it, whatever. Yahoo's my, I have Yahoo up as my homepage. It's, you know, some of the news from Yahoo is Yahoo. Let's put it, it's silly. But I see this article pop up that people are angry with Brent Musburger, and I, I, will be honest, folks, I didn't watch much of the Sugar Bowl. I was football loud after my Trojans. We'll talk about that in the college section. So. Um, You know, I'm reading that he said something about Joe Mixon. I'm thinking, what did Brent say? Did Brent say he bet on the game again? Because Brent likes to talk about gambling. Brent said something to the effect of what you and I over coffee would say. He looked at Joe Mixon and said, boy, that young man was given a second chance by by Bob Stoops, Stoops in Oklahoma. I hope he realizes that. I hope he takes advantage of it, and he goes on and has a great career in the NFL. To me... That wouldn't have even caught my ears. I wouldn't have even stopped. It wouldn't have even raised an antenna. That's like two guys like you and me over a coffee. You don't drink coffee. You can have an orange juice. I'm having coffee. And I say to you, God, I hope he gets a –
2: And a shameless plug for Marley coffee, coffee, which is very good stuff. I do drink that.
3: Okay, well, there's a shameless plug. So we're having our coffee, and I say to you, you know, I hope – Kid got a second chance. I hope he straightens his life out and, and, you know, makes something of himself. Is that really bad? I mean, people, what do they want Brent to do in the middle of the game? Go on a diatribe about that two-year-old video? Any sane person, and Brent, no matter what you think about his broadcasting, he's sane, he's been doing this 50 years, understands that what Joe Mixon did was wrong. He hit, you know, hitting women, children, hitting anybody, actually, is usually not a good idea unless you're assaulted first. It's certainly a bad idea with women and children. I think sane people know that. It goes without saying do you want him to go on a diatribe about that in the middle of a football game? Something that that should be blatantly obvious to to most of us. He knows that. He shouldn't even talking so talking about
2: this at all. Pardon? What about those who say he shouldn't have even been talking about this at all? Just call the football he, game. W- I mean, when do we get to the point? Listen, for the, the 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 moment I began watching football, all right, and yeah, know, I'm not. I'm the youngest guy anymore, but from the moment I began watching football, there was Brent Musburger.
3: So have we sure. reached a point where we need to tell that guy
2: how to do his job?
3: I guess. I mean, I, I mean, actually, I'll be honest. He's one of the, the, the football announcers, and maybe you disagree. I actually enjoy a, a Musburger broadcast. I, he's never really bothered me for the most. I like him. So, I don't know. I I didn't see the problem with it. I've had people.
2: I don't know what he said wrong. I don't even know what, I guess we're bored. You know, the bowl games have pretty much just ended. We're in between uh, the final week of the NFL season and the first round of the playoffs. So we had nothing to talk about and we needed to make that a big deal, but give me a break. What did he say wrong? What did he say wrong?
3: Well, this breaks down you, this, this is probably a separate sociology show. If, If you really get behind the comments made here and, uh, how this breaks down. It breaks down socioeconomically between wealthy and poor. It breaks down uh, in some ways between black and white. Um, we've talked about this when this has occurred in other instances. White guys typically see this stuff different than some people who of color who were bro- born in urban areas that have seen violence by women perpetrated against men. Their reaction is different. Um, it's a whole thing. I mean, you know, I had a comment on my page where someone said, because I said, he's 20 years old. What, do you want to flush his life? I mean, he made a mistake. Let's give him a second chance. And they said, usually second chances stop when you're 18. I said, really? Well, let's talk about the Kennedy family. We had a guy in the 90s rape a girl on a beach, or, or allegedly he walked away scot-free. We had Ted Kennedy drop a girl in the drink in the 60s, a girl from this area where I live. She died. He swam away because he didn't want to get a DUI. He became a U.S. senator. Second chances seemed to happen when you have a little bit of wealth, and it seems like those kind of second chances, most people don't have any chance, any problem with them. I mean, gonna, did the kid do something wrong? Absolutely. D- did he kill anybody? No. Did he rape a child? No. I mean, usually other than those two things in our society, we give people second chances. And now if he keeps doing it, that's a different story altogether. But he was 18 or 19 years old. I'm willing to say he made a horrible mistake you know, do I want to incarcerate him for the rest of his life? Because I tell you what, you kick his his ass out of Oklahoma. There's a good chance his life, you know, takes a bad turn. And if it takes a bad turn, then he ends up in, potentially in prison. And then we're all complaining prisons are overcrowded, and and we're going to pay for him for the next 70 years. So I don't know what's the answer. in our society, those who push the hardest
2: for Uh, Crushing people in that type of situation So, you know, someone made a mistake And hell no, they don't deserve a second chance Those tend to be the folks that are doing A little dirt themselves behind closed doors It's almost like a little self-hate I call it the Chimura effect And I think you know why I say that I always remember Mark Chimura Refusing to go to the White House when the Packers Won the Super Bowl in 96 I believe it was And because he didn't agree with uh, Bill Clinton morals and so on and so forth, and he had all this. He wanted to take a stand, make a stand. Years later, uh, got caught having sex with the underage babysitter, and uh, suddenly he had a, a moral problem. So um, I just wonder about those folks. Hey, we got to take a quick break, but stay tuned, man. We got a lot to talk about. We're going to wrap up the college bowls. We'll talk a little bit about the NFL final week. Talk about the playoffs, and also we're going to review a little bit of our NFL predictions that we had preseason. Where did we go wrong? Where were we? Right. We'll talk about that. And don't forget, folks tuning in uh, at eleven o'clock at the eleven o'clock hour, I'm going to have South Florida Express founder owner uh, Brett Getz on to talk about South Florida Express tryouts. It's an annual event. This is the number one and best, most recognized seven-on-seven team in the country, and the tryouts are this weekend. Big time event. So happy to have Brett on to talk about it with us. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: now, set your profile up, and let yourself be seen!
0: You all may be taking the week off, all right, this week, but I'm not. We made a B on the midterm, so we're going to take a week off and get a D. Just like all the rest of you people out there on paper we should beat Mississippi State. Well, you know, I, I'm gonna tell you what. A lot of people take a lot of things for granted and I get asked questions like, well, how important is it for the, the young guys to get to play this week? Well, how in the hell do you know they're gonna get to play? You know, everybody's got such a high expectation for what our team should be. It really doesn't matter what you think. I mean, what makes you think that you can just assume that they're gonna get to play? Because you're assuming that the other team is not very good? Because we have a tendency to think that way around here instead of just kicking people's ass like you're supposed to and working to do it, all right? So when you ask me those kind of questions, it really pisses me off. And it really...
2: Abel, you think uh, that was the question Lane Kiffin asked Nick Saban before he let him go? I was good on
1: Nick was a little
3: hot under the collar there,
1: huh? <laughs> I love when he
3: goes off. I could listen to him all day do those things.
1: Oh, man. He sends messages
3: to
2: his players through the media um, among some of the best. And, you know, again, saving Belichick from the Parcells tree. And uh, who controlled the media and dealt with them better than Bill Parcells and his haters?
3: Nobody. He was the best. He was the master.
2: Yeah, two Parcells disciples just uh, working their magic uh, with the media, which, you know what, is a big part of, of being a head coach in this day and age. If you don't control that stuff, it'll, it'll overrun your entire program and franchise. Trust me on that. All right, uh, where are we going, Amal? we going college or NFL. I'm going to let you pick that because we got a lot of stuff going either way.
3: Uh, why don't we Why don't we hit what's on a lot of people's minds? The games ended on Monday. It's only Wednesday. Why don't we talk about the college bowl season? That's basically over, other than the big championship game this upcoming Monday, and then we'll dovetail it and get out of here as we talk about the uh, the NFL playoffs that are coming up this weekend that we're excited about.
2: Well, a uh, kudos to you because if I'm not mistaken, you ended the bowl season at what was it seven and three? Was it?
3: Uh, you you know I had a nice bowl season. You still won overall in college. I was seven and three. Uh, you were doing well until that last set of games, and then you you, you know you you took it on the chin and uh, you ended up five and five in the bowls. But yet you still had a nice you know twenty eight and twenty four in college. I ended up going into Monday twenty five twenty six and one. So I need to win that championship game to break my record even for the season in college football. Yeah,
2: you do need to do that. It'd be, it'd be nice if you if you get that one. I'm kind of already on record as to which way I'm going on that. You know, of course, I'll do I'll do some research, but um, and and give a, a final call on that on Friday. But you know, right now, I'm I'm leave, I'm leaning Alabama. If everyone's going to climb on the Clemson bus, um,
1: I think going, I think we I'm, touched
3: a couple games. I mean. Uh, you know, already uh, the Alabama game, I don't know what you thought about it. I thought Washington's defense held up very well, but I said you know their offensive line just could not in any way, shape, or form block Alabama. And in that game, I think Jake Browning's lack of arm strength to some degree was really exposed. He just, the, the kid's a good passer at the college level. He makes some good decisions, but he needs time and he's not going to be able generally to really drive balls in tight windows down the field. And against Alabama, if you don't have a quarterback who can just do that, you, you're probably not going to have a great chance.
2: <laughs> yeah, the defense is outstanding. Uh, a lot of playmakers there. Uh, the biggest thing that they do on defense is Alabama I'm talking about here is the kind of pressure that they can get on your passer without having a blitz. Um, it, it's, it's just really tremendous. We saw some of that uh, against Florida, uh, with Florida State. In their game against Michigan, the tremendous amount of pressure that they were able to get sometimes on three-man rushes, uh, that kind of stuff there has a, it's a problem for you because now you've got seven guys in coverage, uh, which means you got to hold the ball a little longer, wait for a guy to get open in the window, and you just you don't have that time with these four guys rushing, and then you can't run the ball against them. Um, that's the biggest well, problem. So they make you one-dimensional, and then they come after your passer, and then you know now you start throwing the ball into a very opportunistic secondary who uh, is very good at not only securing interceptions but taking them back for touchdowns or setting up the, the offense on a very, very short field. So that's a big problem. You know, you start to look at it like the only way you're going to be able to make some way against an Alabama defense is is, is to have a mobile quarterback or preferably one who could really take off and hurt you, which is what Clemson brings to the table. But, you know, we'll just have to see.
3: Well, which is which is when we get to that game I'll talk about it, which is why I always thought and and it wouldn't have helped this year because it would have been his very first game in college which is why I thought the the guy that would have given them a little problem in that first game was USC quarterback Sam Darnold who is you know a kid that can run throw and, and has a you know a howitzer on his shoulder but that's you know I think Alabama. I took a loss in that game, by the way, folks. I had Washington plus thirteen and a half in our picks um actually kind of game kind of went the way I thought. I figured it was I thought it'd be a twenty to 10, 20 to thirteen type game. I figured Alabama would have some trouble against the Washington defense because they have some huge defensive tackles in there, and I thought that that would limit Alabama's ability to run the ball, and I'm not sure their quarterback is at a point yet in his career where he can just drop back when you know he's going to pass and pick you apart. I think he needs that play-action game. So Washington held up, but they just weren't able to do enough offensively, and the pick six was a killer for me. So, uh, you know, I think Alabama, Chad, and I don't know what you, if you as a defensive coordinator yourself and someone who played defense, what you think, but I think their front seven masks a little bit of the one-week I I I don't think their secondary is – as good as, say, your son's team, Florida. I think it's good by most college football standards, but I think mm-hmm. it's masked a little bit by how good that front seven is and the pressure that, as you talked about, they get without blitzing.
2: Perhaps it is. You know, those two, two, those two things work hand in hand. You know what I mean? If you're, you can't cover anyone in the, in, the, you know, in the back half of the secondary, uh, or the back part of your defense, then the, the rush never really is able to get there because the ball is out of the quarterback's hands. Um, likewise, uh, when you can cover back there, you give the defensive line uh, a little bit more time to get to the passer because he needs to hold it, and guys aren't really open, and so on and so forth. So um, I hear what
3: you're saying, but you know whatever it is, the, they're working pretty well. Um, together. Oh, no, he, listen, I'm being I'm being picky, you and I mean the defense. <laughs> I mean the defense is as good as I've seen him have there. The front seven. I mean the only other ones I recall that I would put in the category of the front seven they have is some of the Miami teams uh, back when you played up until the early 2000s and, and that 2008 USC team when they had Clay Matthews, Ray Malaluga, and, and Brian Cushing on the same defense, they were probably the only teams that I recall actually being. I mean, you look, at they have NFL players across the board in that front seven, and it's just crazy. I mean, it's it's uh, they're, they're a load to block, no doubt about it.
2: Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Let's talk about the uh, the, the one that caught everyone by surprise: um, Clemson's total domination of Ohio State. Uh, I can't remember the last time an Urban Meyer team was beaten in this way. It was just utter domination. And so, what do you make of a Clemson team that has seemed rather sleepy at points during the season? Um, you know, well, wait a one second
3: more- now. It didn't catch you by surprise, Chad. You, you in your I picks, saw- you took Clemson uh-huh. plus three. I didn't it did not hear you, not well catch that? you i I said it didn't catch you by surprise. you had Clemson plus three, so uh I in your I picks I, I think well, I think the lesson to be learned here is this, and we've talked about it in analyzing Clemson all year when you get a veteran team like Clemson, and they have a ton of guys leaving this year, Mike Williams will be gone, Watson, they lost that championship game to Alabama last year, and it was a great game. if people remember it was a forty five forty game, very entertaining game, a team like that sometimes will sleepwalk through a regular season. I don't care what the sport is. It could be the NBA. It could be Major League Baseball. They're going to do the bare minimum of what they need to do to try to get themselves in position because they put all their focus on getting back to that game and, in some cases, hopefully playing their nemesis who beat them. And in this case, Clemson gets both wishes. I think they are the one team, when you really look at them on film, that physically can stay up with Alabama. They've got NFL-caliber players on their front seven. They've got NFL-caliber players on the offensive line. They've got a mobile quarterback. Now, I don't know if that what that's going to mean on Monday night. I'm just telling you from what I've seen, when they're interested in playing, they're a team that is is probably physically up to being on the same field right now with this year's Alabama team. And I think they were very interested in playing, obviously, the other night, and we saw what they can do
2: yeah um, you know no no doubt about that um so it you know again it makes it makes things very interesting so what 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 do you say about Ohio state having been in a college football playoff uh everyone was so eager they were in their they were in the track blocks in their stance ready to take off on that uh the moment well, you got that was...
3: hey, listen it's too chad i think it 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 further it furthers my argument and and i i believe at this point probably yours. That I think that the way you got to set this up is eight teams, five automatic berths for conference champions, three at large by the committee, and you're off. You go because if you miss one, I don't know, Ohio State as an at large, you don't feel nearly as bad as it, because you're not excluding a conference champion at that point. I think the other thing you look at Ohio State, the warning signs were there for us. We kind of didn't. We, we looked at the laundry, we looked at the uniform and the helmet, and we kind of forgot. Hey. They went they played at home against Northwestern in November. They won 24-20. A 4-point win at home scoring 24 points against Northwestern. They played a 3 and 9 or 4 and 8 whatever they ended up Michigan State team who was not good this year. At Michigan State beat them 17-16 stopping them on a two-point conversion with a minute and a half or 2 minutes left. There were some warning signs along the way that kind of said you know, they had the seeing-eye spot against Michigan where, you know, basically Helen Keller spotted that ball, or maybe they don't even get to that point uh, and the game ends on fourth down. You know, that'll be debated for a long time. So there were some some chinks in the armor. Um, he was not throwing the ball well. Uh, you know, JT was not throwing the ball well down the field late in the year. So there were, you know, I'm not going to say we saw it coming, but you saw it coming, maybe not 31 nothing, but you were pretty confident that Clemson would win that game.
1: Oh, yeah,
2: I, I, I was confident. I didn't buy a whole lot into the regular season. I know that feeling. You climb to the mountaintop um, and you got pushed off right before you reached and you fall all the way back down. Well, then, you know, you're not as... Um, you don't—you you, you, want to get back up to the top, but maybe you don't climb as zestily. Like, you've made this trip already. Um, you feel like we'll get there, but, you know, you don't feel the need to crush certain teams during the regular season. A regular season... Um, if you could you know, imagine it, kind of loses a little bit of its luster. So let's just get through these games. Let's get back to the point where we were um, right before we fell off. So um, It resulted in a loss for them against Pitt. Fortunately, it didn't cost them in this whole deal. But Clemson was a better team than they showed this regular season. Uh,
3: I believe so, and I also think that what, what the playoff has done, and I think if it gets to eight teams, what it will really do is it allows teams to try some stuff early and build to a crescendo, which is what you should be doing in in a playoff situation, playing your best football at the end of the year, not at the beginning. I think Ohio State, being a young team, they came out like gangbusters. I mean, they played their best football in the first six weeks of the year. I mean, they were beating teams scoring 50, 60, 70 points in some cases. They went to Oklahoma. They beat them by three touchdowns. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if we flip that now, and I tell you, forget what we just saw, even at the end of the year. I told you Ohio State's playing Oklahoma on a neutral field, you didn't think they were going to beat them by three touchdowns again, did you? Uh,
2: maybe, maybe not.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know? I, I think Ohio State's a young team. I think people are going to write them off now next year and do that at your own peril because um, he will get that fixed. Urban Meyer is, is a really good coach. So anybody who just automatically – starts discounting Ohio State because of one really bad game they had in a bowl game, you, you do that, like I said, at your own peril because Ohio State has a ton of talent on that team. Urban will figure out how to fix that forward-passing game, and I, my bet will be Ohio State's a very strong team next season.
2: Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. You know, a very young football team, <clears throat> and they get the experience of having been in a game like that. They'll be – you know, we talked about Clemson maybe not being so hungry for this regular season – well, in a situation like this for Ohio State, I think you're going to be looking at a team that's hungry going through that
3: regular season next year, given the way
2: they bowed out of this thing.
3: True or no? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, that's going to be – you look at that division next year. I mean, Michigan's replacing about 18 guys. I mean, you know, I don't expect Michigan to be horrible, but I also think they'll struggle in some of the bigger games because they're going to be very young have a lot of guys stepping into new roles and just replacing a lot along their lines and whatnot. That that East division between Ohio State and Penn State next year is going to be a war. I mean, that that's oh, going to be, you know, you count me as signing me up. God, God willing, if I'm on this earth, I will be glued to the television when those two teams play in Columbus next year.
1: Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Uh,
2: Penn State's game against USC, uh, Amel, I was traveling during that game. I happened to be traveling during what appears to be the best game this bowl season. So that is on my list of things to do here within the next 24 hours to sit down and watch that entire Rose Bowl game. Uh, I was stunned by what was going on, uh, to be honest with you. Didn't expect to see that many points being scored. The last thing I expected was this game to be a 52-49 final, no matter who won.
3: Well, a couple things. You know, this sounds funny. I mean, because you know my disdain for the Big 12. But this was not a Big 12 52-49. They played defense in this game. There were punts. There were turnovers. There was guys getting hit and getting hit hard. It was just one of those games where there was so much offensive talent on the field and so many big plays, and in some cases some weird big plays, that led to some quick touchdowns that you got a lot of points out of it. But you also, if you like defense – it wasn't like every time someone gets the ball, they're going to score. I mean, there were stops and punts and all the good stuff that, you know, now granted, it was a lot. I'm with you. I never thought it would be like this. Um, it was a weird game because it was like two different ga- three different games. The first quarter and a half, you really felt like if Penn State's not careful, USC is going to blow them out of here. Then all of a sudden, the game changed for a quarter and a half, and Penn State took control of the game. And you felt like the other way, man. If USC's not careful, they're gonna get blown out of here. And then in the fourth quarter, USC returned to the way they played the first quarter and a half. I mean, early in the game, USC had a 13 nothing lead. They had a couple field goals that they, you know, they took where they could have scored a touchdown, perhaps. Their kicker, who's excellent, missed a 51 and a 49 yard field goal, so they left some points on the field. So it's 27-14 right before the half. Penn State has the ball, and USC's getting the ball to start the second half. So you're thinking. This thing could turn to a blowout. Well, little, little, you know, 30 seconds left in the first half. Penn State, tight end mirror. I think it was tight. end, makes a great catch in the corner of the end zone, 27-21. Now, Chad, mark that down. That's play number one. Now, this is amazing what I'm going to tell you. USC gets the ball back 30 seconds left in the half. They go down. This is when the kid misses like a 49-yarder going into the locker room. So USC gets the ball to start the second half. They go three and out. They punt. Penn State, first play from scrimmage. Handoff Barkley, 79 yards for a touchdown. Amazing running back this kid is. Um, I think barring injuries, a stud at the next level. So that's the second play. Now Penn State's last two offensive plays have now produced touchdowns. USC gets the ball again. I think they go three and out. Maybe they get a first down. They punt it to Penn State. Next play, USC brings a blitz. Penn State loves throwing deep. Imon Marshall is a one-on-one with Chris Goodwin. He gets a hand on the ball, tips it up in the air. Goodwin running full speed, stops his body, squares up to the quarterback, catches the tip. Marshall's on the turf in the Rose Bowl looking at the turf. Goodwin sprinting down the sideline, 79 yards, touchdown. Three offensive plays now in a row, three touchdowns. Next possession, USC interception. Penn State returns it to the three-yard line. Next play, touchdown. Penn State ran four offensive plays in a row that produced touchdowns. Well, well, thank you, Emil.
2: Um, you essentially have a – what's that term they use
3: for when, you know, you didn't see the movie and someone tells you all about
1: it? I ruined the not ending that.
3: for you, but you got to you – listen, you, you got to watch it. It was an amazing, amazing I – mean, I don't know. I've been watching football like you a very long time at this point. I'm not sure I ever saw a team score – Four touchdowns on four successive offensive plays in a row. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, well,
2: um, it it sounded interesting. Uh, you know, all the things that I heard sound like it was a very good football game. So I'm going to have to get around to seeing that. I, I think we've covered what was, you know, the, you know, the most interesting things in this bowl season. Uh, I can't wait for the ratings to come out. I guess we watched it, you know, halfway through this thing. You sent me some information on the bowls. And you know, it would have covered the, the the first half of the bowls, which were the least uh, interesting on paper. And it seems as though we're still watching it. Uh, I, I'm just still on this thing, Emil. We gotta we gotta get ourselves a real playoff system. But I, I don't want to beat that horse again today. So.
1: No, okay. no, no.
3: I think I think we all, anybody who's a regular listener of the show knows where we stand on that. So there's no point in going there. I do think that the Rose Bowl ratings. I, I want to see if I can get my hands on them some research. I think they're going to be through the roof. Uh, it was a great well-attended game, full house. Um, the fans were into it. If you watched that game without knowing what was at stake, you would have thought those two teams were playing for the National Championship. Just by the way, the fans, the players, and the reaction. All right. Um,
2: here's where I fall on this. First of all, that these college playoff games and the college playoff that we have kind of kicks a little bit of sand, I think, on these games that come after it. So Western Michigan, Wisconsin, USC, Penn State, Auburn, Oklahoma, uh, Florida, Iowa. You know, you got to wonder how much those games mean now that you've had the playoff games right before it. I highly doubt, Abel, if the USC-Penn State game was part of that 14 playoff that I think we would have seen a 52-49 game. I just don't think that would have happened. I think it would have been a different kind of football game. So I have to wonder, like, what was the mindset there, that you get a game like that? True, very entertaining. I just don't think in a fourteen playoff we get a fifty-two forty-nine
3: game. I don't know where you
2: stand on that.
3: Uh, normally I would agree with you. I'm just not – I'll tell you this. I came away with a couple things watching that, and I think when you watch the game you will too. The best hire at Penn State this past year was the offensive coordinator, the, the head coach at Fordham they took. He runs a pretty funky offense. The quarterback for Penn State's only six foot tall. He's a real gamer. The kid, you know, he doesn't. He's not going to play at the next level as a quarterback. I can tell you that. He's he's just a scrappy kid. He likes to throw the ball downfield and take chances. Um, A little bit of poke and hope, if you ask me. And it worked in this game. He hit some big plays. Now we heard him. He also threw three interceptions. The first one didn't bother him. The second one kind of led to a touchdown that was at midfield and the last one ended the game for Penn state. So but it's an interesting offense, Chad, it's hard to defend. I'm not sure, you know, do I think an Alabama would defend it? Sure. But Alabama is an all time great defense. I think most colleges with the players Penn state has are going to struggle. They have some kids at that school. I'm, I'm telling you right now, when you watch that game, I'll be shocked if you're not telling me this Barkley kid is the real deal. And then on the other side, this Darnold kid is – he's the best player I've seen at quarterback for USC, and that includes Carson Palmer. I mean, this kid can throw it on a dime. He's a pro quarterback. Um, so I'm not sure most most college teams are going to stop him. Now, again, don't use Alabama as your measuring stick. So maybe it wouldn't have been 52-49, but I still think you would have got like a 42-38 type game. I really do.
2: Yeah, well uh... – no, we'll have to see, man. Watch the game. We'll just... I
3: think I want to hear, you know, because you and I talked, to. I would like to hear your thoughts. I think when you watch the game, you'll pick up on some things they could have each done better, obviously, defensively. But I think you'll also appreciate there was a lot of offensive talent on that field that night. Right.
2: Uh, and understandably so. And you knew that going into the game. But, all right, we'll just have to leave it there at that. Uh, you know, the one good thing about this playoff is that it's January 4th, and the college football games aren't over. We still got more coming. Um and we've got a national championship game to look forward to, so we can enjoy all the build up that leads to that. In the absence of a true playoff system, uh, we'll just have to make the most of that one. So we'll enjoy the week and the build up of that. And um, uh, you know, since the game's on Monday, we'll be back on uh or we'll give our prediction on that on Monday. Is that fair enough?
3: Yeah, we'll do it on Monday since that is the game day. Yep. Good good idea.
2: Yeah, we can devote a little bit more time to the NFL playoffs on uh, on Friday's show. Well, let's flip now into the uh, into NFL mode, and uh, let's talk about the, the playoffs that were coming here. Uh, you know, I don't know which one of these games you want to attack yet, but, I, you know, I had a chance to watch Detroit and Green Bay, and, you know, Detroit was one of my picks this weekend. And, you know, just I don't understand how they continuously – get to these situations and just don't convert you know I realized they were already in the playoffs but they went they they played that game you know they didn't lay down and still they get taken out by Aaron Rodgers and the Green
0: Bay Packers
3: yet again oh no nobody was laying down there because like we talked about you know that game was big in the sense that you know let's face it a home game against anybody is, is preferable to a trip to Seattle I don't care how good or bad the Seahawks are playing it's not an easy place to play I don't know why the Lions fail um, in these spots. You, you know, I think, and I'm probably going to look like a fool when I say this, I think people are a little too giddy on the Green Bay train right now. I know they're on a six-game winning streak, but a lot of the habits that, that that gets Green Bay in trouble are back. Okay, for a while there they were running the football. They had that Montgomery go off that one game against the Bears where he went for 162 yards. You know, but you look what's sandwiched in between in these wins. They're leading rusher at 41 yards against the Eagles, 40 against Houston, 41 against Seattle, 23 against Minnesota, and 61 against Detroit. So, absent a running game, I really don't care how good Aaron Rodgers is. I just think it's very hard to win playoff games if you're going to be one-dimensional. Yeah, uh,
2: and and that's still what they are. So, you know, they'll pay for it at some point. What's the most Uh, What's the matchup you're most looking forward to this weekend?
3: That one. I think, you know, I'm interested. The Giants right now are playing some some hellish defense. I mean, you know, they played that game against Washington, and I was proud to see them as a football fan do what they did. Uh, As a fan of the NFC East, you do not let another team from the NFC East walk into the playoffs by laying down. And the Giants did not lay down. They went to Washington. They played them. They beat them 13-10 at Washington, kept the Redskins out of, that seven hole, out of that six hole where they would have taken Detroit's spot. And, uh, you know, the Giants, 13-10, but if you look at their board, they haven't scored 30 points this year. This is an 11-5 and team that hasn't scored 30 points this year. So, you know, you figure they got what it takes to slow Green Bay down, but my question is, can the Giants score enough? Because no matter who they're playing, they're not scoring much.
2: Um, uh, I, I've learned this don't sleep on the giants when it comes to the postseason. So it's like, it's that they're one thing in the, you know, they're one thing in the, in the, in the regular season. And then, you know, there's something else, um, uh, when the postseason comes, I mean, I'm not going to make that mistake again. They'll find scoring when they need it. I guess they I'm just, um, you know, we got to make predictions on these games,
3: but, I think that's going to be a fun football game. Oh, I think it's I think it's an interesting game because again, you know, you have a very one-dimensional Green Bay team. I do not expect them to be able to have any success running the ball against the Giants. So basically, they're going to roll Aaron Rodgers out there at Lambeau and say, "Beat the Giants for us." And then you got the Giants, who you know basically know what they're dealing with in Rodgers. And the question is, can can they figure out a way to get it done in in Lambeau? So I think that's I think he got three. T- I, mean, I hate to ruin it. There's three other games. I have to tell you that looking at them, I'm not really that excited about them. I mean, the Dolphins. I know that's the hometown team down there, and you're excited you made the playoffs. Yeah. I they're going to Pittsburgh, and I'll make a spread pick with this later in the week. But I'm telling you, just winning the game, I don't like their chances up there. <laughs> I
1: mean,
2: you know, I just I think it's funny when I sit here and look at the records that. You know, that team features a 10-6 and six versus an 11 five. I mean, on paper, that's, you know, one of the best matchups out there. I'm just not all, uh, I don't know, I should be more excited about some of these matchups. Yeah, I'd love to see the
3: Dolphins. Well, I mean, what Dolphins. excitement do you have? I mean, you, uh, let me ask you, I'm just before you get a chance to dig into it, you could change, I'm, I'm, I'll give you a full ability to change your mind. But right now, do you think the Lions have a chance just off the top of your head, I'm asking you. I, I don't have an answer. That's why I'm asking you. Do you think they have a chance to be competitive in Seattle?
2: Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. I'm, I mean, the Seahawks have lived their way into the postseason.
3: Okay. They really have. I hope you're right because I want to see some good games here. I hope you're right. I mean, I look at that Raiders-Texans game. Now, here's a Raiders team I was excited about watching. They had that terrible, you know, luck of of Carr breaking his leg Um, McGloin was just absolutely awful when he was in the game and then he's hurt so now basically you got a rookie in Connor Cook who hasn't played all year uh, playing against Brock Osweiler and the Texans that might have the final score of an Astros-A's baseball game I mean that might be like 9-6 there
2: Uh, very well could be but you know what happens when we say that you know here comes a whole bunch
3: of scoring Uh, I would have said
2: that about the oh yeah
3: I know Yeah, well, no. I'm listen. I, I hope you're right. I hope the Lions can muster up something. Um, You know, let's let's be honest and fair to the Lions. They lost their last three games. They lost at New York at the Giants, at the Cowboys, and then home with the Packers. Not exactly an easy schedule to finish the season.
2: Right, right. Uh, Well, uh, they did get it done, but you and I know what's going on there. So that is. To, to me, the most interesting game. Giants-Packers, uh, what are the Giants going to do? Are they going to put on their postseason Superman outfit and jump out of the uh, the phone booth and, and be that? Um, or, you know, what will the Packers do? Will they find the happy balance in their offense that could get them to the win? Or, you know, after all that they did to close out the season, will they fall back to that point in the season where they hit a rut? That Those are the storylines that you want to see there. The Raiders and Texans um I'm just, you know, that the whole quarterback situation there. Is, I, I, I am, I am really sick that Carr is out of this thing. Cause I was so looking forward to him in the postseason, just bringing his energy and, and you know, especially what he did for that team. Uh, Connor Cook is. Out, what do you think about that? One?
3: Uh, you know, I, that's a tough spot. You know, you got a kid who hasn't played all year. Um, I, I don't think they had any intention of. Of, of playing him this year, obviously, he was the number three quarterback, and now you're asking him to go play a pretty good, you know, what gets lost with the Texans because their offense stinks is that they have a really good defense. And, you know, you're sending this kid on the road asking him to, you know, extend your season. That's a tough spot there. I mean, you know, Texans, the Texans should confuse him. You know, I, I mean, that uh, the Raiders to me are definitely as funny as that sounds, a 12-4 and team playing a 9-7 and team. The Raiders are the underdog to me in that game. I haven't even looked at the point spread there, but in my mind, the Raiders are the underdog.
2: Yeah, um, they are. They're, no, yeah you know, I mean, Texans are going to play defense. I don't know what they're going to do uh, at quarterback, but you know, they'll they'll uh, they'll play defense and kind of hope that works out for them. See how that boils down. I mean, look at the guys.
3: playoffs though. The NFC, chat is far better. If you look this year at the, what they have set up in the NFC. Probably the only weak link is Detroit, and 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 they happen to be playing a struggling Seahawks team, so they may not even be that weak weak of a link. Um, the AFC, really, the the bottom three in that, just because of either situation or the teams themselves, to me, they pose almost no risk of winning this the, this tournament in the AFC. The bottom three.
2: Yeah, um, that's why they play these games, though, Amy. You know. That's, uh, oh, I, that's uh, listen!
3: I didn't say I'm right. I'm telling you what I'm seeing on the. <laughs> it's my opinion. I don't mean my opinion is often wrong, as we know. I'm telling yeah, you yeah. that. You
1: know, that's what's required I to be on the radio it.
3: That's a radio. That's all. Um, and right. we certainly entitled to Hell, everyone else.
2: Um, you know, is, in, is we'll throw it out there for us, especially in this social media age. So, uh, we'll just have to see how this whole thing unfolds. We'll have more on this on Friday as we do our our wrap our show. Emil, I, I, I was kind of looking back here, and we could probably go a little bit more in depth on this thing, since we're not going to talk a whole lot of college football, uh, I think, you know, when, when we get back on, on Friday, on our Fr- Football Friday show. But, you know, we made some predictions, so we can kind of two-part this thing. Uh, looking at some of our NFL predictions that we made uh, when the season was, was getting started, I know you and I were pretty good when it came down to the uh, Denver Broncos. I made mention of that. In our in our last show, um, off the top of your head, do you do you remember uh, some of the predictions that you made there that you felt
3: really really good
2: about as the season was unfolding?
1: Well,
3: I, you know, well let's start with the one I felt horrible about. You know, I I really thought the Cardinals this would be their year. I figured they got bounced in that NFC Championship game and now they were going to take the next step. Um, they they really regressed this season. They finished seven eight and one. I had them in the Super Bowl against the Steelers, who, by the way, are now playing good football. And that, that part of my pick could come out right. I was like you. I, I thought the Broncos would be a 500 team, or maybe I said 9-7. and seven. I forget the exact record. But I, I just didn't think they'd win the division with what they had going on a quarterback, much like you. Um, you and I both kind of had the NFC. I had the uh, Cowboys winning the NFC, uh, but not with – Thirteen wins with I think ten or eleven. You had uh, the Giants winning the NFC. They both made the playoffs. So I mean, you know, we were pretty solid there. You had the Cowboys second. So we did a decent job with the division. Although we, I'm not sure we we either of us saw uh, the amount of success the Cowboys rookies would have, of course, which which propelled them to a, a phenomenal record. So, um, yeah, there were yeah. no, some good and some bad. Like uh, this thing is
2: uh, quite interesting as I'm sitting here looking so it. I don't think we're going to do it any justice. Uh, as we wind down here so I guess essentially what I've done is tease this whole thing to our next show which will be on on, on Friday so uh, I'm going to just leave it off to that and uh, we can talk a little bit more about where we're wrong and where we're right I going to wrap this thing up between you and I right now because it's uh you know what it is down here Abel on top of it being um you know we're getting close to that t-shirt season it's seven on seven season that's a big deal down here I don't I don't know if you realize that there's the football season, that oh. Seven the season. and oh um, I, I know how
3: that works and you know our friends at t-shirt supplies i think are going to have something going on in the next couple of weeks where you can share it on your page where people can buy some of that stuff and make their shirts if they're looking to make stuff for the season so we'll get we'll get them to hang something out there on on social media with a coupon code okay
2: yeah, looking forward to that. But uh, we've uh, it's seven on seven season, so it's time to talk about it. And uh, I'm gonna jump into a break. When I get back, I'm gonna be talking with Brett Getz, owner of South Florida Express, the most recognized seven on seven team outfit in the country. Emily, uh, anyway, you've had guys like uh, Teddy Bridgewater play for South Florida Express, Amari Cooper played for
3: South Florida Express, and that's just uh, that's just some of them. Um, oh, there's a bunch, yeah, you know, I, I I listen. I'd love to I'd love to get down there um, during that season, maybe when I come down one of these times and get to see one of these games with you. Because we, if we have it up here, it's not it's not in my my area <laughs> per se. So you know, I've never I've seen it on TV, but I've, I'd like to see it because I I heard it's pretty pretty cool to watch and a lot of fun. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, you've seen some extreme feats of athleticism, really death stuff going on there. So. Um, It's time to talk about that. So when I come back, I'm going to be joined by Brett Getz. Amel, it's your time to sign off, and uh, I'm not going to hold it against you that you, you know, you you killed all the cliffhangers for me in that USC Penn State game.
3: I got excited because I never saw it before. I'm sorry. Watch the game anyway. You'll enjoy it. I'll I'll catch you on Friday. Yeah, no doubt about
2: that. So I'll be checking that out. I'm going to take a break. When I get back, Brett Getz from South Florida Express joins me on the Gridiron Stud Show. We'll be right back right after
1: to so all you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges?
0: You all may be taking the week off, hi, right, this week, but I'm not. We made a B on the midterm, so we're going to take a week off and get a D. Just like all the rest of you people out there, on paper, we should beat Mississippi State. Well, you know, I- I'm going to tell you what. A lot of people take a lot of things for granted, and I get asked questions like, well, how important is it for the, the young guys to get to play this week? Well, how in the hell do you know they're going to get to play? You know, everybody's got such a high expectation for what our team should be. It really doesn't matter what you think. I mean, what makes you think that you can just assume that they're going to get to play? Because you're assuming that the other team is not very good? Because we have a tendency to think that way around here. Instead of just kicking people's ass like you're supposed to and working to do it. All right, so when you ask me those kind of questions, it really pisses me off. And it really, sort of if you want to know the truth about it, pisses me off when I talk to people that have this expectation, like they're disappointed that we only won the game 14-13. You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? I don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the NFL, and about four or five of them were first-round draft picks. And I think that team won a national championship, but I'm not sure. You want to talk about something that's frustrating? That's frustrating to me. For our players... And they run through our ass like shit through a tin horn, man. And we could not stop them. Could not stop them. Could not stop them. (laughs) You better make it a good one now, because I'm about half fired up here. You got a good question, I I hope? I always got great timing with my questions here. Yeah, well, um, if it's not a good one, just pass it on. Now, you all scared to ask another question? You sure you want to ask? I'm good. (laughs) I know you don't like to do comparisons, but no, I don't. So don't ask me a comparison question. I'm not. You you know, I've already answered it three times. So who else wants it? Can we get in line and everybody ask the question? And incidentally, don't ask me any more questions about that, because that's all I have to say about it. I don't. I can't say it. I don't. I don't have anything else to say about it. Uh, I, I. I thought something had to be bad before you needed to get better. So why does it need, no, why, why you ask it. me if it, the, the, has it gotten better? That that assumes that it was wor- it was bad, it was worse at one time. Because if it was up to you, we're, we're, we're six foot under already. We're dead and buried and gone, gone. Get this bottle to respond to it, because I don't know anything more than that. I told you everything I know. So you can ask the bottle, but don't ask me. I don't want to say it's none of your business, but I just don't think it's anybody else to know I'm I'm, I'm coaching and working for our players and our team to be as good as it can be and if that's not pleasing to somebody else it's not pleasing to somebody else Uh, I mean I hate to to start on this but whether guys are going out for the draft that it shouldn't even be thinking about that right now whether we're worrying about the Heisman Trophy now we're worrying about playing Missouri rather than Tennessee sometime down the road we won a lot of games last year and you all didn't
1: Oh. I was
4: good, on
2: that's the way it was. That's the way it was. You on a love 1108 the... here on the Gridiron Stretch Show. Just finished wrapping up NFL and college football talk. The bowl games, up and down. Wish I could have seen more of them. Definitely, uh, again, within the next 24 hours, you need to sit down and watch that Rose Bowl game. Certainly was not expecting a 52-49 scoring fest kind of stuff you'd see in a a 7-on-7 contest. And uh, with that, a good segue into the next thing we're going to talk about here on the Gridiron Stud Show. That's 7-on-7 season. And when you're talking 7-on-7, I don't care if it's in the state of Florida or anywhere in this country, there's one name that you recognize uh, first and foremost, and that's the uh, whole grandfathers of this seven on seven thing in the South Florida express, uh, home of names like <clears throat> Teddy Bridgewater, Artie Burns, uh, you know, Amari Cooper, we can go through a long list of names. Uh, and I'm proud to say that, uh, my oldest son, Quincy Wilson, who just declared to the NFL draft yesterday was, um, a, a very big member of the South Florida express team for, uh, two seasons and really describes it as, um, one of, if not, you know, the best experience that uh, he had. One of the things he missed the most about high school football and that was playing uh, for South Florida Express. And so with that, I have uh, the owner of South Florida Express, owner and founder of South Florida Express on with me right now. Brett Getz to talk about the tryouts coming up this weekend. It's an annual event that's attended by uh, writers, uh, recruiting writers
4: from all over the country. It's just it's kind
2: of turned into a red carpet type of thing, has it not, Brett?
4: It has, and, um, you know, it's because of not only the talent that we have, but uh, all the great writers that come out and cover from around the country and uh, Italian evaluators out there writing about these kids makes the event great. Plus, we have some great sponsors such as Adidas and Shake Shack this year, so come hungry if you're coming, and uh, Muscle Milk. It's, uh, you know, without all these people involved, we can't make this event grow bigger and bigger and bigger every year. It's been great. Yeah. I mean, so not only can
2: you come out and watch some amazing athleticism and be entertained by that, the new crop of uh, guys are going to be coming up. You can also get fed and then get some nutrition too. You can walk out of this thing uh, with your belly full, entertained and with some, uh, some, some muscles maybe
4: you uh, didn't have when you showed up to the
2: thing. Right, Brett?
4: Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I can use some of that muscle milk myself, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh we have a lot of talent out there you know we usually have like 300 plus kids that come out and try out and uh you know it's going to be this saturday is our showcase which is going to start at uh at at, at at registrations from 11 to 12:30 at betty t ferguson park uh in miami gardens florida and uh at 12:30, we're going to get the show on the road and and start uh you know start the camp it'll be great um and, and, and by the way, and just so you know, and right before that, from 9 to 12, the great Ken Mastroli, one of the better quarterback coaches around the country, will be doing his camp uh, right at the same field. Um, that would be from 9 to 12. But our event will be great. It will be 300-plus kids, and uh, we're going to invite 100 back on Sunday to have a chance to make our South Florida 10 team. This will be our 10th year.
2: Yeah,
4: so what time are the festivities on, on Sunday? Have you decided a time on that yet? Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah, our the kids that we invite back will compete from 10, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, from 12 to 2 on Sunday. Those are the 100 kids that come back. And prior to that on Sunday, from 9 to 12, we have a 15 and under tryout. So if you're 15 and under, and you have some town on the on the field on the football field come out and try out and uh you know try out to twenty five dollars per person and uh you will get adidas uh shirts and some headbands and stuff and should be a lot of fun
2: yeah look so we this obviously a long history uh for uh the South Florida express, and you know we could when we if we were to lay out the history right now it's probably uh, go really long here on the radio and we don't have that long, but could you give us a quick rundown on how this thing started?
4: Yeah. I, you know, I got a call 10 years ago from uh, a writer from, uh, one of the big national publications. And, um, he said, listen, you know, a friend of his or somebody involved was going to do a seven on seven tournament in Tampa and and you know and I I knew a lot of the kids from coaching or knowing them or whatever and they asked me if I wanted to be the coach uh, and start a team down here and I, I I said well I would love to do an all star team you know I and I they said whatever team you want to do just do and the tournament was whenever it was in April of ten years ago and uh, what I did was I just called around to all the top you know I just from reading all the recruiting sites and going to a lot of games. I knew who the top guys were who I wanted to invite, and we invited about 25 kids. About 40 kids showed up, and uh, 24 kids were on that team, led by uh, Geno Smith, uh, who's in the NFL, and uh, Brandon Darty who's with the Dolphins. Those two are our quarterbacks. And then we had uh, Stedman Bailey, who was with the Rams, just uh, recently had an unfortunate incident that uh, took him out of the league, but uh, there were five guys or six guys on that team that made the NFL. And uh, every year after that, we had a tryout. And it went from 40 kids the first year to, you know, 350 or 400 kids every year. So it's become a really big thing. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, a long history, a lot of great players. you got guys in the NFL, you got guys that have won the Thorpe Award, guys that have been up for the Heisman Trophy. Um, what are you the most proudest of uh, in South Florida Express, if you could somehow point
4: to one thing well there's a lot i mean i listen as a as a you know first of all i I think it's great that we built such a great stage for all these kids uh which leads me to say that i i I think the thing i'm most proud of is that we built a stage where there's a lot of kids you know we don't we don't make these kids i don't take credit for the talent these kids have and i I will say that you know due practices and some of our great coaching I'm sure there's several good pointers that the kids learn or get better just through the competitive nature of our program. But I will say there's a lot of kids that have amazing talent that don't get recognized or aren't recognized at that point when they get into our tryouts and our team. And because of all the exposure and the stage that we created, it creates, you know, a platform where there's so many kids that end up getting scholarships and get you know, to so many schools, and um, and that's what's great about it. I mean, there's kids. Uh, Rashard Robinson was one kid uh, a few years ago that came out. Nobody knew who he was at a Pompano Beach Ely High School, and uh, he was a long, athletic cornerback, and we loved him. Nobody knew. Everyone was, you know, so all the writers loved him, and um, he ended up you know, going to LSU, had a couple issues there, but he was so talented that, The 49ers picked him up in last year's draft in the fifth round, and he became a starter this year. And it's guys like that that people just don't know about that are able to go out and showcase their talents on our stage. And, boom, all of a sudden they have, you know, 10, 15, 20 offers. And, uh, you know, all you need is one. But to have a choice of many is great. Yeah, Brett Getz,
2: uh, founder of South Florida Express, joins me here on the Great Iron Stud Show. Uh, and, and so it's interesting that you bring up someone like Rashad. How often when you uh, go out to, you know, the and you have an event like this, South Florida Express tryouts, do you get someone uh are you surprised by someone out there that you didn't know anything about?
4: You know, it's becoming more common. But, um, I, I, again, you know, South Florida is just an unbelievable pool of talent. And, you know, sometimes kids get overlooked because they go to uh, – you know, in American Heritage, and there's, uh, you know, 10 big-time guys, but there's really five more that could play D1. But, you know, everyone's looking at the big offensive lineman or some great skill guy there. But there's another guy who's sitting there that, you know, can play. So, you know, we love to get those kind of guys. And we go to the tryouts. And I know this weekend it's going to be the same thing. There's going to be someone out there, one or two kids, that we've never heard of or no one else has ever heard of that is really, really talented. And, uh, you know, that's, it's, it, that's what makes me happy. And, and, you know, hearing about, you know, you said about Quincy Wilson and, um, you know, the fact that that was one of his best things they did in high school. And this is what it's all about. I mean, uh, you know, that's the fact that we have, you know, we're on our third apparel deal. And, uh, you know, we just signed the extension with Adidas and we created such a big name that we're able to, you know, give these kids an opportunity to get some great apparel, to be able to travel to different places and be able to compete at the highest level. And I know it's not, you know, we don't have pads on, but I will say the seven-on-seven seven thing is extremely competitive. And, you know, the other thing I tell people is I think there's a huge correlation between their success uh, as skilled players and quarterbacks out there, um, out there, and then, you know, and the correlation between that and when they put the pads on. I mean, I think there's a pretty high correlation of how it translates.
2: Um, is, to, is, is to compete in seven on seven. Uh, that's become an essential part of the off-season training is is competing in these seven on seven events. Another thing too uh, that I've noticed in, in my time uh, following seven on seven and being a part of South Florida Express is you know you, you have guys at some schools where there's not as you no know, it's not as popular a school uh, for whatever the reason may be. And you know, they're there, they're very good players, they're just not being seen as much. You know, recruiters don't go there. When recruiters come down, they can't go to every high school in South Florida, simply too many. But when they get onto a stage like this and they're a member of the South Florida Express football team, it gives them that opportunity to get the exposure that they wouldn't otherwise get at their high school team.
4: Yeah, yeah, and you know, a great example of that was uh Jeremy Cash, who was at um Ransom Everglades, which is number one academic school in the state every year. And Jeremy was there for academics, but just uh, an absolutely amazing athlete. And uh, Jeremy came out as a – I think it was a sophomore at the time. And and I'll I'll never forget, we were at uh, Miramar High School. His father or his stepfather came to me and said, look, you know, this is my stepson. If he doesn't make the team – can he still practice with the team? And I said, well, I, I think we'll be able to accommodate that. And uh, it turned out that he did make the team, and uh, we were at Miramar High School practicing, and I remember a bunch of writers there, including Larry Bluestein, looking at me and saying, who is that kid? And Jeremy was kid from Ransom, very athletic. He had high socks up to his knees, these Urkel-looking glasses on, and but he was so athletic. And, uh, you know, he said, hey, this is Jeremy Cash. He's at uh, He's at Ransom Everglades High School, and, uh, you know, he was a kid nobody knew about. And uh, we thought he was fantastic, and he ended up transferring to Plantation High School and becoming, uh, you know, a a big-time high school player there and uh, went on to play at Ohio State, left Ohio State, and went to Duke It became first-team All-American at Duke. And and, uh, this year he was – ended up, strangely enough, and can't really figure that out, didn't – you know, first-team All-American – defensive player of the year in the ACC and did not get drafted. Um, it might have been because of his uh, sort of in-between size, but uh, he, uh, he he stuck with – he was a free agent with the Carolina Panthers and uh, played with the Panthers this year. So, you know, that, he's a great example of a, you know, small school kid or a school that really doesn't – people don't talk about for football that was there and waiting to be noticed.
2: Yeah, obviously, uh, Brett, there's a limit to how many kids could make the South Florida Express football team – um, you know you, you can talk about the struggles you have with 300, 400 kids coming out that are very, very talented after all of this South Florida um, and they trying to pick a team or two teams out of um, a, a ton of talented kids. The other great part I see in this is that you, you get kids that don't necessarily make the team but get a ton of exposure um, having performed out there just because of um, A their performance and B, the people that attend this thing that are influencers. Talk a little bit about that.
4: Yeah, I I tell the kids, and I'll tell tell them every year, I'll tell them on Saturday that, you know, it's not a perfect science. It's far from a perfect science when we go out there on on Saturday to evaluate kids to invite them back on Sunday. I mean, there are so many kids, and there's so much talent. And I tell the kids, listen, we're going to miss on guys. We know it. But if we do miss on you, there's so many writers out here that hopefully won't miss on you and uh get an opportunity to see you and and write about you and talk to college coaches about you and that that's the great thing and you know there's a bunch of other 7 on 7 teams out there now and uh if they don't make our team they you know sometimes they go on to play on these other teams and you know get noticed on these other teams so it's uh i think either way you know i think the kids should come out and compete and uh give it all they have out there and uh hopefully have an opportunity To be seen by the writers and by us And uh, continue on with our team
2: Yeah um, You know that's just one of the great things that will Happen there and you know they got You know we'll talk about this you have some folks That will spread this story or You know this is their narrative that they're trying To attack uh, South Florida Express is that the team is already made up So uh, you know if you're going out there you're wasting Your time they already know who they want Talk a little bit about that fallacy
4: um,
2: And how you had to deal with
4: yeah. Well, yeah. And that's something that comes up every year. You know, these other teams are trying hard to get other players that we might want. And uh, they'll tell them that our team is picked. And the truth is we, and and I, and I tell people this openly, we probably usually have a third to a half of the team that we know is already that we want on the team. And then there's usually the other half or so or two thirds that, that we'll find out there at these practice at these tryouts. So um, you know, I, I there's I, there's tons of kids that we didn't know about that went out there, competed, and were fantastic, and made the team. But yes, there are um, uh, you know several kids that we do know about that played with us last year that prove themselves that more than likely have a great you know high uh, very high chance of making our team this year.
1: Yeah. And by um, the way, I will say this:
4: all these other teams are, are you know they have a bunch of kids that they have earmarked as well. So it, you know, it all kind of works the same way.
1: Yeah, well, there's no
2: doubt about it. Uh, you know, South Florida is, is a hotbed for talent, if not the, the richest talented area for high school football players. And, yes, you have some that are, are lights out players. And, you know, if any team forming down here does not have in their mind that ex-player or so-and-so player that you've watched in pads, out of pads in previous seven-on-seven seasons get the job done and think that, okay, well, this guy is not going to – uh, have a really, really good chance to make this team, then you're being silly about the entire situation. There's some guys there that have come there with a resume already, um, but you know, by and large, everyone tries out. And uh, one of the other great things is just the feat of athleticism that you're going to see on on Saturday and Sunday. Talk about talk about that
1: part.
4: Yeah, I, you know, I I think competition is always the best coaching, and not to take anything away from our great coaches that are down here, but I think competition is the best coaching. And I think, you know, when you, and I always say this, I mean, our practices are usually better than our tournaments because, you know, we think we have the best of the best and they're out there competing on Sundays and practice. And I'll never forget a few years ago, I went to coach Rumpf at American heritage And I said, hey, you know, thanks. Uh, We're talking about T. McFadden, who's at FSU that had an unbelievable year. And I said, hey, Coach, thanks for letting McFadden play with us. He said, thank you, because he came back with a completely different confidence than he did last year from playing with your team. And, you know, you asked before what makes us feel good. That made me feel great because I know that, you know, at least one kid, I know there's more than that, but somebody got something really good out of it. And, like I said a few seconds ago, the competition out there is so intense it's going to push everyone to the next level every kid out there competing so you know you're going to bring you know a major intensity and uh these kids bring their swag out there and again the competition's going to bring these kids uh to a whole nother level and uh you know that that's always been our best thing It's just the the competitive nature of our team at practices and at tryouts and then you know you go out and You know, kids go back to their high school teams in the spring and they're like, man, I I could compete against the best. I could do this, you know, and they feel much better about themselves and they go out and uh, they do big things. Yeah, Brett Getz,
2: uh, owner of South Florida Express, joined us here on the Gridiron Stud show. You know, I'll speak a little bit to that. I've mentioned it on this show before, but it bears repeating again with the tryouts being this weekend. Uh, Quincy's experience with South Florida Express was I sent him out there as a freshman going into his sophomore year. Um, and he was kind of new to the defensive back position. You know, i known about South Florida Express and said, let me take him out here. This would be a good opportunity for him to um, get a little exposure to um, some of the best athletes out there and just kind of, you know, get his feet wet on that whole thing. So he went out there and competed, did a whole lot better than I did. But it was not, he did not compete well enough. He was not good enough at that time to make that team. There were some serious um, athletes out there. I mean, Tracy Howard, Duke Johnson, and I could go on. And on. And there are actually some really, really great guys that didn't make it as far as those two I just mentioned. And so he didn't make the team. And it really, really motivated him um, to try and come back and make it again next year. Uh, and so I think that's what should should be the mindset rather than walking off with a grudge. And I think that's the case for the majority of guys that come out the trial and don't make
4: it. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know what Quincy's a, you know and I you know I remember and I think I had this discussion with you. I remember one year, like Quincy's first year on the team, uh you know, I thought he was a great talent, but he was getting pushed hard by the receivers mm-hmm. and the other DBs. And at one point, sure. um we moved him from one team to even though our our other team is awesome, he got mm-hmm. moved to the team. And you know what? Quincy didn't complain, he didn't cry about it. You know what he did? He worked his butt off and knew that he wanted to play back on another team and you know what it pushed him a little bit harder he went back to the other team and uh you know yesterday's announcement with clearing for the draft just shows his drive and what it takes you know you're not everything's not always going to work out for you know any of these kids so just go All out right. there with some major drive and some major hope and uh and go out there and do your thing and even if there's a little step in the road there a little bump in the road fight through it because you know, this is a great game. It's a great sport, and it's a
2: kind and, and boy,
4: you, I, about life as well. Hey, you mentioned this
2: swag, um, and one of the one of the big things about South Florida Express over you know the the second half of this decade has has been just that swag and the apparel deals. Talk a little bit about what's going to happen with that with this year's team.
4: Well, first of all, Chad, you should get a lot of credit for that South Florida Express swag with your. Um, with your um, – you, you have become not only our, uh, you know, coach of defense, stuff like that, but you lead the way with all this uh, this acrobatics that the South Florida Express have after making big plays. And I know all your videos and stuff and uh, encouraging the kids to go from playing football to being in gymnastics. I mean, I, I, see, I see it all around the country now, these videos of these kids with the flips and stuff like that. Yeah, so, you know, really- our kids – Say it again. The backflips have become a big part of this. Huge, huge, huge. Hey, listen, you're not allowed to celebrate in real football. You get a penalty. So, you know what? Even though we've got a couple penalties for our backflips, which they should let the kids have a little more fun with it, but you know what? That whole, you know, having fun, swag type of thing, it all comes hand in hand, and, um you know, I, I think the apparel, I you know, uh, the the apparel company like Adidas saw what we were doing. I give Adidas a lot of a credit, you know. A lot of other companies were kind of scared to jump into the 7 on 7 thing. And uh Adidas looked at it like, "Wow, man, this is unbelievable." You know, you have teams with the best players from the from the, you know, from all these great areas around the country, and they jumped on the opportunity and we were very excited. I met with them a couple of years ago and uh, we just, you know, we even had an extension of our contract, which we're excited about. But we love working with Adidas, and we love the product. And uh, I think, you know, putting some cool gear on or cool uniforms are, you know, on, it kind of gives the kids, a, you know, another little mindset. And uh, we're excited about that.
2: Yeah, uh, I
4: am certainly, um, once again,
2: looking looking forward to you know, not only the tryouts, but what the team is able to do this year. And, and, and then kind of just looking at what's on that team and envisioning five, uh, ten years down the road, which one of these guys are going to be the next superstars in the NFL, similar to what we have now. I, I mean, listen, uh, I hate to put you on the spot like this because unless you have it written down on paper in front of you, you aren't going to possibly name all the guys that are in the NFL right now that have played for South Florida Express. But just to give an idea to those that may be listening, uh, rattle off some of the names of guys that have been members of South Florida Express that are playing in the NFL right now.
4: Yeah, we mentioned uh, Rashard and uh, Teddy Bridgewater, Geno Smith, Stedman Bailey, uh, Ryan Shazier, Eli Rogers, Artie Burns. Oh, my God, the list goes on. Um, Who would you say? Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper, Duke Johnson, uh, uh, Tracy Howard. Um, man, the list goes on and on. Uh, 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 we mentioned Jeremy Cash, uh, Brandon Doughty, who was picked by the Dolphins uh, as a backup quarterback. You know, that's backup quarterback right now for the Dolphins. Um, and you know what? I, I, you know, I, I think we've had four years in a row of first-round picks. The guys that play with us. And uh, Chad, I, I I I think we might see the fifth year in a row this year. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely amazing. From your lips to God,
2: theirs, and, and hopefully <laughs> you know, uh, it's just amazing. So if even if you are if you don't have a kid that's trying, if you just want to go out and uh, watch a, a great event, it's almost like Ringland Brothers and Barnum and You're bound to see something amazing. So if you if you don't have oh, yeah. anything to do. You're just a fan of high school and college football. You definitely want to come out um, and watch this thing on Saturday and see the next crop of the of the superstars of college football and possibly the NFL. And just this is probably going to be more entertaining, I dare say this, than than some of the playoff games that are going to come on. Oh, yeah. On oh um,
4: yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! There definitely will be some entertainment out there.
2: Yeah, and, and I, um, look, I certainly. Thank you for, uh, you know, having put something together like this uh, for the kids of South Florida. I think a lot of people uh, forget about that and miss that, that you've provided this opportunity and an outlet for kids. So uh, that should definitely be recognized. Um, And then once again, before I let you go, tell everyone the details on the tryouts this weekend.
4: Yeah, first of all, Chad, thanks for having me on. And, by the way, you left out another Wilson kid. You left out Marco. I know he didn't play last year coming off an injury, but you did leave out Marco from playing with us when you mentioned that one of your sons played. So Marco was a great player for us two years ago. But um, this weekend we're at Betty T. Ferguson Park, just a few blocks west of uh, Dolphin Stadium. Um, we're, we're, registration is from 11 to 12.30. And uh, 12.30 we'll get started. It's $25 per player. And um, it's a great opportunity to compete. And, uh, and by the way, like I said, uh, Ken Mastroli's quarterback camp will be from 9 to 12. Also a great thing to come watch uh, some of our future stars down here uh, at the quarterback position. So, uh, and then Sunday we'll be going. Sunday is uh, same place. Uh, our 15 and under um, 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 uh, tryout will be from 9 to 12. And our, um, you know, our older team will compete to make the team. Our older kids will compete from uh, twelve to two. So, be a great event, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I'll th- listen, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for having this event,
2: and uh, I'm looking forward. I'll be out there uh, Saturday. You better Saturday be, Chad.
4: You, Chad. Either that, or you better have more kids so we can keep you on board. <laughs> uh,
2: that seems to be the thing, folks want to have. Done uh, around here, but Brett, man, I thank you very much for being on, and look forward to the uh, whole event this weekend. Gotcha. I'll
4: see you there Saturday. Thanks. Bye-bye.
2: All right. That's Brett Getz, founder, owner of South Florida Express, joining us here. And, again, big event Saturday and Sunday at Betty T. Ferguson Park. And, again, if you're just a fan, um, you certainly w- want to come out there and check this whole thing out because you could say, hey, I saw – Uh, such and such. You could say, hey, I saw the next uh, Amari Cooper, Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, Ryan Shazier, Artie Burns, Quincy Wilson. Um, You know, I saw these guys before they were those guys. So uh, certainly uh, come out and do that. And, you know, if you have a youngster in your household that's playing uh, high school football and he's a wide receiver, defensive back, quarterback, running back, um, and he's serious about this thing, you got to bring him out on Saturday. You just absolutely have to get that done. Um, You don't want to look back on it and regret it at some point later on. Um, If nothing else, they don't make the team. It's a great experience for them. It gives them an idea to see exactly where they are. You know, what are the things you need to work on? It's important in anything that you do that you're able to see your competition. And if you're here in South Florida, you definitely have that opportunity. You have an opportunity to come out here and not only see, but compete against your, uh, your, your competition for getting a college football scholarship. Uh, if you're in Pennsylvania, you don't have this opportunity. If you're in Indiana or uh, some of these other places where it's not as talent rich, you can't even see your competition. Other than to see highlight videos, you can't see your competition. So you're competing against something you don't aren't really aware of. Um, and to that point, if you just bring a kid from Pennsylvania and, and uh, flew him down here and threw him out there on a Saturday, it would be a shock for him. It would be a tremendous shock for most kids. Um, to just be thrown in that situation and try to compete to make a spot. Um, Most kids in that situation would be overwhelmed. So, you know, bring your youngster out there um, and there's a 15 and under team as well that will be having tryouts on Sunday. So, bring them out there and uh, let them compete. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of competition. So, that's, uh, that's my go on that, and I want to thank all of you for listening to the Gridiron Art Stud show today. I uh, certainly enjoyed it, wrapping up the college bowl season. Um, we do have one more game to go. Abel and I will be back on Friday. We'll talk about it a little bit. We'll give you our official pick on this one next Monday, since that is the day of the uh, game. Um, Friday is our Football Friday edition, so we'll talk in depth about the uh, NFL playoffs and also review a little bit the predictions we had going into the season. See kind of where we were right and where we were wrong. But once again, thank you all for listening to the Good Eye and Stud Show for Amo Calamino. Um, and I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks to my guest, Brett Getz, for joining us here. Thank you all for listening. See you guys on Friday. No, say.